Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams D Podcast, where you spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week, we're coming at you with a brand new now episode where we're going to talk about things going on in the world of music. And we have today's episode, which is uh, special. It's not exactly a topic episode. It's more of a... Uh, it, it it's special. We're going to be talking today about the the latest contribution to the world of music from Rolling Stone and their list of the most inspirational LGBTQ plus anthems. So stick around for that because it is certainly going to yield results. And for this discussion as well, we're going to be joined very shortly by the one and the only Miss Adequate Emily, frequent friend of, well, not frequent friend, friend of Infrequent the friend. Yeah, okay. Uh, sometimes she's our friend, sometimes she wants us to burn in a lake of fire, you know, who knows. Very, very LGBTQ adjacent thought process, I must admit. Anyway, she's going to be joining us very shortly. She'll be joining us very shortly to augment our discussions of music today, and particularly of that auspicious release from Rolling Stone, which we're going to be talking through very shortly. But before then, we've got a lot of music we want to talk about that's come out recently that we want to run through, uh, starting with some albums that we haven't had space to review. Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about this latest Queens of the Stone Age album and how you feel it holds up? Well. As previously mentioned on this podcast, last year we actually did an episode where we celebrated the anniversary of their classic record, Songs for the Deaf, an album that we all love very, very much. They are one of my favorite current active bands as well, so you could say I was looking forward to the latest record in Times New Roman, tentatively anticipating it just because 2017 was the last time that they dropped six whole years ago with Villains, which was... I think easily probably the most divisive record in their discography thus far. An album that sort of yielded, I think, a uh, a sea change for Queens is because they needed to to sort of go back and maybe uh, pivot to a sound that their fans are perhaps a bit more familiar with, a bit more comfortable with. And that's kind of the name of the game for uh, In Times New Roman, which is... A very good album. I enjoy it myself with this record uh, about as much as I enjoy something like Villains, because I think this album is basically as good as those. Um, It's being seen as like a really big return to form after the previous record, and I can see why. The, the sound that they updated here feels a bit more in keeping with what you know this band for. This kind of blend of stoner rock of alt metal but it's like it's got these really colorful guitar tones on here it's interesting a lot of this album sounds a lot like era vulgaris mm. uh, another divisive entry in this band's catalog where they get really out there with some of the production and i like this element however i feel like it is applied with a bit of a reckless abandoned to the point where it kind of oversaturates itself with this sound they really, like, it is a weirder sound for Queens of the Stone Age. It's just that they're all songs that are very weird sounding and very broadly the same way, the same sour guitar tones, the same, you know, fat bass. It, it's all very satisfying, but it does kind of run together a little bit. I think there are lots of great songs on here. Uh, I still think Carnivoyeur is maybe the best song that they've made since, probably like Clockwork. 
I would say. Uh, what the people say, uh, straight jacket fitting, uh, paper machete, all of these, I think, are top tier Queens of the Stone Age songs. In fact, the strength of the singular songs in and of themselves is pretty solid. It's just that as an album, how it comes together, it doesn't really have the dynamism that I feel like, however you feel about villains, that album did kind of have that has some songs on there that are pretty structurally adventurous and interesting and different for the band. And here we're treading old ground pretty confidently and it's good. It's fun, but it's not something that blew me away. Like I kind of hoped that it would. Why, why the, decent song. Why did they have to call a song? What the people say like the real muse ass song title, honestly, if we're being real fucking stupid. Wait, how, um, how is this? How is this spelled? Like, is it like people, people or is it like P space pole? No, <laughs> peephole, like a peephole. Oh, peephole. See, I yeah. your fucking stupid accent sounded like peephole or something. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you, buddy. It's good Welcome to the Janity Podcast. We're racist. <laughs> um, cannot be racist I, I, against New Zealanders. I thought the album was a yeah. step up from Villains, which I I don't care for that record all that much. But and I think mainly it's a step up because it does really call back to that era vulgaris and to a certain extent lullabies the paralyzed sound as well. It's yeah. limeier. It's got that real focus on on riff heaviness. Um, and it but mixed with a kind of production sheen you would expect from you know a record made in this era it didn't leave as much of an impression as i was hoping especially based on how good the singles were agree with your take on carnivore and the whole thing lyrically as well just has this kind of hangovery feel of like a disgruntled josh homie kind of talking about his divorce but also not really talking about it and the whole circumstances surrounding josh homie's divorce and personal life is so unpleasant that i wish i didn't know as much about it as i do so it's kind of a little bit of a headache to be reminded of it so yeah, it's a decent album. I just think that um, it could have been more. Um, but what about yeah, this? What about this new Killer Mike album, Jake? Which is an interesting uh... thing because we're celebrating also the tenth anniversary of the release of the very first Run the Jewels album this week too. So where do we check in with with Mr. Michael Reinder at this particular juncture in history? Uh, well, we're checking in with Killer Mike as he pivots interestingly from the last major project that he was involved in which was rtj4 an album that we all liked very very much uh still like that still my favorite run the jewels album by the by which you know mike was basically at the peak of his lyrical form on there in my opinion and on here he's not really doing all that much like here's the thing about this album is that I feel like a lot of the discussion centered around this record is very much about Killer Mike's politics. He's espousing a lot of divisive political opinions that, you know, if you've been paying attention to the kinds of things he's been saying over the years, probably don't surprise you, but still inevitably disappoint you anyway. He's a moderate capitalist. That's the best way to describe it. It's really not my main complaint with the record, because honestly, the whole thing is just so boilerplate like this is killer mike at his most autopilot like even on features he sounds way more animated than he does on his own record here he stretches himself so thin with this very very standard kind of atlanta sort of trap 
hybrid sound that just like you know you think that that would work well for killer mike and i mean it's fine like it's just kind of okay he he's competent behind the mic and behind the mic Woo-hoo! oh good pun i did it i can't envision why anyone would want to listen to killer mike over no id beats like i'm not trying to say that he deserve that he ex- he should forever be solely produced by lp because i'm not saying he should be boxed into that but there's something saying so that uncanny and dissonant and wrong about hearing killer mike over like no id beats and like sort of modern trap percussion it's so jarring i want to briefly because we're going to have to do we've got a lot to cover and we've only got about three hours to record so we're going this is going to be fairly whirlwind so there's nothing wrong with that i want to briefly so it's going to be about a swans album length yeah but we're going to achieve a lot more than swans do in that amount of time um gandhi I want to briefly acknowledge the new Sigur Rós album, which has partly because it's been so underpromoted, and partly because I think people kind of forgotten a little bit about Sigur Rós because they hadn't put out an album in 10 years. Their new album, Atta, has kind of gone a little bit under the radar. I think not many people are necessarily even aware that it exists. I, I didn't know it came out. Yeah. Our, our friend Luke was in a similar position this week where we told him we were listening to it, and he's like, there's a new Sigur Rós album? And I'm like... Ah, that's a bad sign. It took them a while to record it, and they just didn't want to promote it. And so they surprised released it with uh, one advanced single earlier this month, or last month now. And I've listened to this album a lot. It has become the most listened album of the year for me. I think it's fantastic. It is something that will not deliver everything that everyone wants from Sigur Ross because it is them in a very specific mode. But it is... I mean, it's hauntingly beautiful. I wrote an essay about it that I still don't know what to do with, but it exists. I'm not going to talk about it a little bit too much, but um, I think the new Sigur Rós album is incredible and it captures so much of what makes them such an emotionally evocative and powerful band, even if you don't really know what the hell Yonzi is ever singing about or what the point of any of it is. There is a triumphant heft to this particular record that, it just completely emotionally crushes me every time I listen to it. I think it's masterful and it's certainly going to be on my top 20 albums of the year list. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to give it a shout out, acknowledge acknowledge its existence and explain why we're not covering it in further detail. We just haven't had the space for it. It's been a crash course of albums this month. Oh my God. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Especially if you're like me and you've only heard a gay So. A gay oh, what? No, just a, a gay what? <laughs> what did you call me? <laughs> anyway. What? Pride Month is over now, so not uh, in the U.S. Oh, it second. isn't. Burn that it like a gay parade, that. motherfuckers. <laughs> Pride Month may be over, but we are going to be discussing gay shit uh, in a short time. So stick around. Oh yeah, <laughs> stick around for gay shit later in this episode of the Jams and Tea podcast, live on the Jams and Tea YouTube channel. I'm gonna plow on. And just because I want us to run through some singles that came out in the last week and a bit that are worth acknowledging. Uh, first up, uh, one that Jake and I had a collective orgasm listening to together <laughs> for the first time. It was a really like it was an, it was a really like beautiful moment of like sheared homosexuality when we reacted to this new single from 
it's don't call them radiohead it's the smile and they're back with a new song called bending hectic uh the first taste of their next oh, album which apparently hectic. won't be dropping until next year unfortunately but we have this song and it is incredible jake why don't you tell us a little bit about the experience of listening to this song i had no precedent for this whatsoever riley and i just threw this on at the same time and we were listening to it and it starts it's very much starts in that kind of really interesting kind of jammy almost kraut rock adjacent stuff that they were playing with on the first album and then suddenly you get fucking doom metal radiohead halfway through this song and it's like oh holy shit and then it just becomes so much bigger heavier and more expansive than anything any of these musicians have ever made and i was just like i i loved the smile debut don't get me wrong but this is the best thing that they have made so far and if everything else is on the level with this this is some next level shit <laughs> I'm yeah, so excited. It's something you kind of just have to have been lucky to have experienced, but just Jake and I listening to this together after it dropped, having no idea what we were in for and just like having this moment of just being stunned out of our minds. It was special. And, um, and you know, the song is, is, is heartbreaking. I mean, lyrically, it's a song about, you know, contemplating ending it all. And it has this massive weight to it. As the title suggests, there are these really unique and attractive sort of bent guitar tones in the song that sound really eerie and alien and add this foreboding atmosphere to it before you get these pendericky strings that come in five minutes in and make you feel like you're in Twin Peaks, the return episode eight before the doom metal comes in at the end. It's an incredible piece of music uh, that I wanted to shout also out. Also in Twin Peaks, the return episode eight. Yeah, it featured in that, even though it was not to be really yeah. about a six. Well, no, that's that's the that's the bomb, you know, right? Yeah, it's 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 a deep reference. You got to be a real real lynch head to get it. Yeah, the what? smile the smile dropping this song as a part of the promo for Oppenheimer. Yeah, it's exactly exact. No, nah, yeah, it all fits. Yeah, so that was great. Uh, Jake, I know also that something very close to your heart happened this week, which is that Slow Dive returned with a comeback single. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Uh, all right. If y'all know me, y'all know I'm the biggest Slow Dive head in the fucking world. If I, in like the three years that we've been doing this podcast, if I had to pinpoint what band I've spent the most time listening to, Slow Dive are head and shoulders at the top of that list. Um, I have a disgusting amount of scrabbles on Suvlaki. It, it's it's bad. But for the first time, we are hearing from them since their 2017 self-titled My Personal Favorite Slow Dive album came out. We got their new single for a new album coming this year called Everything Is Alive, going to drop this September, I believe. I have already pre-ordered the vinyl alongside the single Kisses, which... If you know Slow Dive, you'll know that they have kind of dabbled in a couple different sounds, even though they're, you know, they're known as the Suvlaki band, the the shoegazy kind of stuff. But on stuff like Pygmalion, they do some, you know, talk talk-esque post-rock. Uh, their first album is a little bit more similar to that sort of, you know, Ride My Bloody Valentine venue of shoegaze. And then the 2017 album is way more just kind of like straight dream pop. And this seems to be following in the stead of the 2017 self-titled of being very kind of 
ethereal, very pretty, very like pop and hook driven. And I have been listening to this single nonstop ever since it came out. It is a lovely, beautiful little song. Very much reminds me of stuff like the radio department, uh, which I know, again, is another band this podcast loves very much. Very just like singularly melancholic, but also kind of weirdly uplifting. And it makes me so very happy. I'm very, very anxious to see what this album is going to pan out and be once we actually get a hold of it, whether or not we're going to get a new single. But I'm just happy one of my favorite bands are back. I'm listening to it right now. It reminds me of like a 90s Cranberry single in the best way. I love 90s Cranberry so much. It reminds me of something like that, but a bit more kick to it. Yeah. In a way, it mm-hmm. almost sounds like if you mixed it with a little bit of a danceability off that you could have on like a post-punk album mixed in there. It's definitely great to have Slow Dive back. I well, I want to draw attention to the music video for the song, which has just the most like the most like painfully like twee, like alt, you know, we're all bisexual and yep. and we're like all- yep. You know, it's just the most motorcycles looking sad. It is actually parodic is what it is. And I, I, I honestly, as someone who is incredibly cringe and loves a lot of incredibly cringe music that takes things emotionally too far, I fully approve of how just, I was going to say like, we are any different. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> Wallflower core shit. It's like, mm-hmm. and it's like, and that's, a nice note as well because that whole perks of being a wolf world of like alt indie hipster teen stuff like that whole world obviously listen to the dive. smiths on repeat yeah, and listen to suvlaki on repeat right like because yeah that's a whole that fits in reg iraqi adjacent yeah like there's no way that gregory chaboski wasn't slamming allison on repeat while writing that book that's true anyway it's probably Facts. i probably could have chosen a better verb there but it doesn't matter Speaking anyway. of Greg, uh, Greg Araki, do you think like if his full name is Gregory, does he have the? Is it like G R G G O R Y? I don't know what you're asking, but no, no, yes, yes. <laughs> that would be a, an amazingly unhinged way of spelling Gregory. I think for one, he would do it. I think he should like put a double G at the start as well. No, a hundred percent. It should so be G. Anyway, I want to quickly run through some singles that I've been really into this week that are particularly Riley core. Uh, first of all, I want to shout out that Animal Collective have released the 20-minute lead single for their next album. It's the closest that they have ever sounded to Feels since they were in that era, but distinctly more, it's like the back half of Feels. It's like the more ephemeral stuff on Feels, but it has this sort of, you know, as you would expect from a 20-minute Animal Collective song, this moderately paced, sort of woozy, almost sort of campfire songs-esque atmosphere. Daffy Duck-esque. Yeah, it's like a mixture of campfire songs and feels, and it just, it's this particular atmosphere that's so uh, well-captured and and, and lucid while I'm listening to it. And I think the song builds and progresses really beautifully and crests in this lovely place. Really excited for the next album. Whenever it drops, hopefully it drops this year. Wanted to shout that one out. I'm so happy to see animal collective back to a lot of sounds i think they did well since they kind of got into a bit of a rut around with painting with i feel like those big four animal collective albums all kind of feel like they fit into a perfect season yeah i listen to strawberry jam because it's my favorite a lot during the summer and also because i listened to it when i was graduating high school a lot it's a summer album feels is very springish it reminds me of like a rainy forest 
Tongue Songs is very fall-like. And of course, with its synths, Meriwether post really it fits very well in winter. Yeah, I think that's beautifully a beautiful description of the arc of those albums. So yeah, having those atmospheric sounds back, very cool. <laughs> Agree. I want to shout out something that's a little bit more under the radar, unless you're a, a serial reader of Stereo Gum like I am. There's a great indie rock band called Rat Boys that I celebrated earlier this year with the release of their incredible single uh, Black Earth, Wisconsin, which is still my in my top three songs of the year. May still be my favorite single of the year, if I'm perfectly honest. They're an incredible great-grandpa-adjacent progressive indie rock band with a bit of a war on drugs mixture of Americana and indie rock and this real presence that I absolutely adore. Uh, they came back with another single this week, which is the I think the second single for their upcoming album. Uh, which is called The Window. Uh, the song is the title track of the record as well. It's incredible. I think this, if you're particularly into the Americana fused with indie rock strand of uh, music that we've been talking about lately with bands like Wednesday, then this should be right up your alley as well. Um, I mentioned Great Grandpa again just because they're very jams and T-core and the singer's voice is very similar. Um, so yeah, all those reference points, if you enjoy those, check these singles out. I think the album is probably my most anticipated album of the year at the moment, just because all the singles have been incredible and I am completely in love with the personality and presence of this band and with the guitar playing as well, which is electric. I also want to shout out big news, big news. <laughs> How did I do that? Oh boy. Uh because we had you transformed into a clown for a second. <laughs> I'm really excited. Big news. Sumpha's <laughs> back. Guys, Sumpha's back. The legendary R&B solo artist who dominated 2016 and 2017 in particular. Sumpha's back in pog form. What the fuck are you talking about? I love about? that reference. Sumpha. <laughs> who thank put out you, one of my you. favorite albums of 2017, Process, yeah. off the back of a series of features with Kanye West and very high-profile pro, high collaborations as a supporting artist, uh, finally coming into his own with that incredible debut album, which I still think is one of the best R&B records of the entire 2010s, but also one of the best kind of UK garage dub records, one of the best electronic records. There's a real sense of like of, of that heavy 90s techno edge underneath the r&b on that album which just makes it a really tantalizing fusion and i still think it really really holds up and so some uh, blood on me is still a favorite to oh, me his voice has he got an incredible voice Sanford does and he uses it so well so not afraid to experiment with it either add overdubs and things like that if it works in the song i some some r&b singers that have such a great voice will just let the voice he was talking i like that Sanford does so much with it well, he's dynamic because he has those like yeah. really eclectic and well-built sort of opus tracks, but he also has songs like No One Knows Me Like the Piano, which is yeah. literally just him and the piano and it's fucking devastating. A yeah, new song is called Spirit 2.0. He's leveling up and he's back. And it's, oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's fucking awesome. It's Sampha. What's actually funny is that Sampha dropped this song on the same day that James Blake dropped the lead single for his upcoming album. James Blake, someone, an artist that I used to have a great deal of fondness for, who now has disappeared so far into the ether of boring, wuss-core, trap-adjacent, whiny white boy music that I can't stand him anymore. And it was a really interesting moment because James Blake, who is one of the most influential artists in electronic music of the early 2010s, James Blake is so obviously someone who's very clearly influenced Sampha as a producer and a performer, right? That first Sampha album process is so 
obviously bears the fingerprint of James Blake. And yet, Sanford dropping his comeback single on the same day that James Blake drops his lead single and fucking wiping the floor with James Blake. I mean, this dude, James Blake's song is fucking weak source. It's boring as shit. I fucking hated that last James Blake album, by the way. I know most people were kind of pretty warm to positive on it, and that's fine. I couldn't stand it. Friends that break your heart, get the fuck over it, man. I couldn't fucking stand that shit. Anyway. I, I like to joke that James Blank is basically just Bonnie there, but a few years later. You just inadvertently called him James Blank, which is a beautiful that's, yeah. I'm making. I think still think James Blake has obviously a lot of talent as a producer, but I just have no interest in his music anymore. I'll check out the new album. Maybe I'll like it. But Sampha wipe, wiped the floor with, with it, basically. His new song is fantastic and basically gives me everything I need from, everything I would want from a James Blake song, but also with the particular personality and energy and style of Sampha. Uh, himself so yeah check that out i thought it was great uh let me know flame me if you think i'm off base with the james blake single disc i just couldn't i just thought the song was boring as shit um but maybe you like it my favorite single of the week uh maybe my favorite single of the last month who knows is the new single from the legendarily impossible to describe and famously cryptic and mysterious band the armed we reviewed this band's last record, Ultra Pop, uh, when it came out in 2021. They are the seemingly the brainchild of Mr. Kurt Ballou, who has concocted this uh, confection of young, hip, metal, and weirdo musicians, essentially, and produced every record they've made up to this point. They're a bizarre band, and I mean, that was a bizarre album that I think really confounded us a little bit when we tried to figure out not only how to describe it, but also how whether we even liked it. Um, but I, so the armed, I, I 100% approve of the arm and armed in concept, but I was always a little bit like, I want to fully get on board with the music. But they've out, they've announced a new album called Perfect Saviors and a lead single called Sport of Form, and I fucking love this song. It is a weird digital mayhem hyper pop crossed with indie rock crossed with folk just electric banger with julian baker as a guest singer and a weirdly anthemic like arcade fire but when they were good-esque anthemic chorus at the end it's a bizarre song that should not work nearly as well as it does but I have to admit, I find it completely beguiling. I just think it's ridiculous in every sense, but totally pulls it together with the final thread. It's actually a song that makes that is a complete catastrophe on first listen for the first like 90% of it. And then the last 10% of it just ties it together, like at the final moment. And then you listen to it again, and you're like, oh shit, the whole thing's great. But on the note of hyperpop, also want to say a rest in peace to PC Music, who officially called it quits this year. Uh, I mean, this is a kind of like symbolic burial because PC Music, I mean, not only have they not been relevant for at least five years, but they haven't really been putting out much music anyway. So it's kind I mean, of like... The founders of it have been prolific. They just moved on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like AG, AG Cook and Sophie sort of moved beyond the label at that point to founding Bubblegum Bass and Hyperpop and all those and combined them into this. Well, yeah, PC Music was, um, you know, I think of more of artists like Danielle Hall and Hannah Diamond and the immortal Cutie 
as well. Uh, these particular symbols of PC music's prominence in like 2017, 2018. Uh, and I mean, that Hannah Diamond album was produced by Sophia. Or no, Cutie was produced by, Cutie's Cutie album was produced, produced by Sophie. Sophie. And um, yeah, the Hannah Diamond album was produced by uh, A.G. Cook and Daniel Hart. Anyway, that I don't have much of a thesis here. I just wanted to acknowledge that, you know, the official resting of PC music because PC music was incredibly like important to me in like 2018, 2019 when I was like coming to terms with my, God, let me just, fucking stop sounding like a fucking loser but when i was coming to terms with my sexuality that music was gay well how yeah. dare you be gay that's so embarrassing i know it's not could you imagine if someone here was trans or gay <laughs> um so yeah rest in peace pc music wanted to throw it up if you're a fan of PC music or if it means something to you, drop your favorite PC music songs in the comments below. I'd love to be able to bond with some of our listeners over that because yeah, that wasn't for a moment. PC music was big. And PC going back music to those tracks. Uh, PC really music was how I discovered Sophie. I remember, I remember around when it's okay to cry. I uh, got released and I wasn't seeing that much press about it at the time, like in early in late 2017. And I remember being like, is this, is, is she trans? And I looked up and it's like, yeah, oh it's God. easy to forget now that there was a time where Sophie was incredibly popular before she was openly trans. No, and there was an article written about her that accused her of appropriating women's voices in electronic music. That's right. I remember that. And that was like, what, what they, the sweet summer children had no idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, big shout out to that particular era where, you know, it was really heralding a new dawn for the voices of trans people in popular music. Uh, let's move on. Uh, none other than the Mars Volta's D. Laust in the Comatorium uh, turned 20 this week. I mean, a, a hugely important album to all of us. Um, and, and there's never a bad time to go back and listen to it. I mean, yeah. I an incredibly important album to you, August, I wanted to throw over and see if you had anything that you've been listening to recently or anything that you want to talk about in general or shout out in terms, since you're, you know, seldom on the podcast in recent times, I wanted to give you an opportunity to shout mm. out or talk about anything that has taken your fancy recently. Yes. Yes. So, uh, one thing I, I wanted to shout out was, uh, a, a band I've, I have never like fully loved, but I've enjoyed a fair bit for the past four years through their through their occasional releases, and that being the group Night Tapes, who have recently put out an EP called Perfect Kindness. Now, Night Tapes are a sort of a dream pop adjacent group. If anything, I'd say their sound uh it, it is definitely a bit shall we say inspired by the work of cocteau twins but i i think they're uh the the palette of dream pop they bring is is quite uh it's quite nice it's pretty uh the songs themselves are very listenable and their record and all of their eps have been short sweet to the point uh lush kind of ethereal dream pop that i think uh certain members jake on this podcast uh might click with and even get something out of even if it may not necessarily be the most inventive version of the genre but certainly an admirable effort in my eyes i listened to the uh the debut breaking benjamin album not debut uh phobia it's not the debut i'm dumb might as well be <laughs> It, yeah, it's it's functionally the the debut of. They can't relevance. be a band who have more than one actual album. 
unfortunately they do uh i i remember at least another one being popular i remember dear agony being at least a little bit popular the the story behind listening to this is is more funny something getting in the way no no it it actually involves uh car crashes uh so i was watching a video of uh you know just horrific car crashes in nascar throughout nascar history for whatever reason it was like you're doing it for dale yeah doing it for dale it was one in the morning i was pretty bored and uh there was this song playing in the background of of you know just the horrific pile-ups and deaths of multiple nascar drivers and that track was diary of jane (laughs) i was gonna say i i i I could fancy i guess when it comes to breaking they got like Uh, one song (laughs) exactly and that one song is admittedly not bad i didn't mind it I don't think I like it as much as when I was a teenager. No. Well, in fact, I'd say this whole album, stunningly okay. The mixing here is okay. Everything comes through pretty clear. Production is nice. Uh, It's maybe a little silly, a little teenage angsty, but I didn't mind it, all things considered. Yes. No, they, they cooked with that one. I'll be honest. No, they they kind of cooked. I I have to uh, I have to concur with that. I will say st- I will say though of those mid two thousands uh, hard rock bands that all kind of mushed together. I will always be more partial to Three Days Grace. I don't know why. Hey, we, I we don't do know love ourselves some Three Days Grace. Mm-hmm. On I, I I hate to admit it, but I will still listen to I Hate Everything About You, despite how fucking <laughs> it sounds like a dude who's had a little too much Bud Light jump walking like this around like a demolition derby. Like, (laughs) talking about his ex-wife. Like, it's still, like, it still begs musically to me. I mean, there's worse stuff from that period, too, that I used to listen to that I I don't anymore. I'm not going to listen. We are scholars of this particular era of music here in of the butt rock era it is it is a recurring bit that we spend all too much time talking about one or another relic of that godforsaken period and the godforsaken butt rock era yeah Yeah. i used to think stained was good as a kid i i I don't have any excuse for that one we had a segment earlier this year in one of our now episodes where i passionately defended it's been a while as like I, a, a legitimately great song. I would also say outside is not too bad either. As long as it's not the fucking live one that gets played all the time with fucking Fred Durst. Biloxi! <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, look, the least said about fucking Aaron, what is it, Aaron Paul, whatever his name is, the least said about his solo work. <laughs> the Jake bit. Paul. The less said about Jesse. The least hey, said oh, about so much. his solo work, the better. Do you guys know that Stained released their first single in like twelve years? Wait, what? He he made a whole. He called it selling out for years. What do you mean he's back? (laughs) The man who wrote "Am I the Only One" has no scruples. Also, I'm looking at Aaron Lewis's rate your music page for like his list of singles. He appeared on apparently a he was featured at a Leonard Skinner concert in 2015 that was recorded as a live album. Oh shit. That man is from Western Massachusetts. If we continue down this line of discussion any longer, I think we might lose two right. brain cells to yeah. continue so, Continue. So let's, yeah, let's talk about something that's far more highbrow 
intellectual, and will not result in the loss of any brain cells. The one, the only, Toby Mac. Toby's back! He's back. The Mac is back. Listen to I on it. Are we still here? Just to suffer. Hell yeah. Oh, you know it. So as per my punishment for last year's quiz, which I am long overdue to completing, I, I have decided to get back on the Mac train. Get back on it. Get back on Daddy Mac's train. Or get back on the Mac Daddy's smackerati. Uh, I'll <laughs> stop right now. On the note of this album having a song on it called uh, Mac Daddy, which is our our True Dog feature. True Dog, may he rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> is this the last True Dog album? <laughs> unfortunately not. Uh, he oh. is on more. Well, then, no, fortunately. Fortunately, surely. Fortunately, he is on more. Yes, yes, that, that is what I said. Um... <laughs> Anyway, this you song is fantastic. August, I wish you died earlier. First song on this album's called "Me Without You." Yeah, it's called "Me Without You," and it, it's a love song to God hey. about God not being there. That's hey, so hey, fucking look. funny. If you know anything about the band "Me Without You," that's hilarious. Two, two Christian artists. Oh, and and what's what's better is that. Uh, God is my favorite Christian artist. Every third song on this album, like to to a rule, is this like overproduced synthetic like I mean picture 2012 EDM in your head and it sounds exactly like that that blown out shitty terrible sounding Is this Toby a little Max? bit of bro step? Yes, is this absolutely. Toby Max the second law. I would say so, but I know he's got more CEDM. Uh, that stands for Christian Electronic Dance Music for, uh, for the uneducated. See, now I want to hear what a Muse Christian rock album sounds like. <laughs> and uh, yes, we have more I'm songs good. on here. Just extolling <laughs> the virtue, you know, Toby Mac's classic virtues of, of family value. There's a track on here called Family naturally and yeah i mean at this point it's pretty standard fare for toby like it's nothing too funny it's nothing too crazy except for the aforementioned mac daddy which is a a song where true dog is is begging his father to buy him a a mac and let me let me pull up like the jacket? lyrics no like uh, like the computer oh oh <laughs> uh, dad when are we going to order this mac you got the cash. I'm close. Laugh. Is he actually shilling for Apple, or is this just because he's? Th this is Toby. just because of the the Mac overlap in name, and what's great is that he refers. It's actually featuring Macklemore too. Oh, I wish that would make this so much better. Uh, genuinely the hook here is i want a mac i want a mac daddy i need a mac i want a mac i want a mac daddy i need a mac them apples don't grow on trees i need that like xxx tentacion queen elizabeth like down the middle <laughs> except it's toby mac and macklemore <laughs> yeah. you know this is a very deep song referencing the uh forbidden fruit and uh Big Tech is basically analogous here for the temptation which Eve uh, felt. And Toby Mac is is God in this song. Uh, his son is no, Eve. He's, he's God in real life. And in real That's life. blasphemous, yes. Toby. Toby Mac, you are a false prophet. 
Yeah, but this song is hilarious. A for no, the, really the weird the weird sexual connotation of of referring to your own father as a Mac daddy. So a reference I am sure that flew entirely over Tobias's head. It's just a weird song and for sure the highlight of the record here. The title track Eye on It is is pretty alright. We've got Toby Mac as like a as like a race car driver. He's got his eye on the prize, but the only person who can keep him focused is the big G. I'm talking God. I lo- I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the next Toby Mac album, be- solely because I see it has a D- DC Talk feature on it. Oh my gosh, I'm so fucking excited. That's that's gonna be great. Uh, there's one more thing I want to talk about slash show you all before we get into our main discussion topic which is uh, my favorite news item of the week and that is that none other than mr aubrey graham drake himself has released a book of poetry the the book is called titles ruin everything a stream of consciousness by kenza samir and aubrey graham and it's like the, the the that title is written across the back and front covers of the book so if you actually look at the front cover of the book it only has like the second half of the title and of the uh, author credits which is just hilarious oh to me. and oh, i saw a picture of it so i thought bad. it was a printing error <laughs> it, 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 it's amazing and look and i just want to take a moment here hopefully it'll work hopefully you'll all be able to hear it i want to take a moment here to uh watch this brilliant video of dj khaled himself explaining the book and reacting to it in real time i think it's a really really special um piece of uh piece of history really that we're piece of art really we're gonna observe i'll put this in museums one day courtesy of the boy coming close um if you haven't got uh drake's new book you're behind time Courtesy of the boys, the new book. The streets behind. Like the cover already. Life isn't fair, but karma helps. The boy's special now. Hold on up. Some days I got it all figured out. The boy is special. But most days I never learn. You think I'm making this up, right? Like this, this is how the boy. Y'all, I, listen, the boy. Wait, that's actually boy, what it looks wait. like. Oh my god. The minute gosh. you think you figured out, the boy, <laughs> the man writes a book. <laughs> he's giving you keys each key leads to the, ne- the next key i don't let me read some more hold on hold on me playing a- something other than me has got to give see i'm taking my time reading because like no you think i'm joking look this the man wrote a book he wrote a sentence <laughs> I think I'm joking, huh? Please. You wrote a sentence! For main character syndrome, if you ask me. I told her I'm going crazy. She said, without me. I'm not mad. Y'all think I'm making this up like, the boy got a book. The boy got a book. Don't you think you figured out Drake? I'm starting to think Drake might have a book. You ain't figuring uh, out. What, what led you to that conclusion, Emily? First of all, I don't know. Hasn't mentioned it yet. Every loser. No, no, I, I it's thought it's very so. subtle. It's it's. Uh, I'm not making this up. Whoa. Go get the boy. <laughs> and if you didn't know who the boy is, that's Drake, Six God. You know, I learned that I can't, you know, 
Did he say sex god? Know everything. I learned that a long time ago. Get the book. It's gonna be number one seller. Oh hey. my god. I have not been able to stop watching this. Everything about it is in, is brilliant. My favorite thing is that he doesn't think to clarify who the book is by, who the boy is, until the very <laughs> end of the video. And just the whole recurring thing of like, no, no, look, you've got to see it. Just shoving <laughs> each page into the camera. I'm not making this up. The boy's different. I, I'm starting to think that Drake both has a book and is different. I just think if I made something and sent it to one of my contemporaries and their most prominent reaction to it was, I'm not making this up, look, I'd probably kill myself. The way DJ Khaled responded to some of that, some of those terrible, terrible poems proves that he might be the greatest hype man on earth as he reads the courteousest thing I've ever heard in my life. And he's like, these are the keys to life. <laughs> He's giving you the key. Each key leads to the next key. That's how keys work. That, that's my favorite part. Each key leads to the next key. It's just a bigger key each time. It just keeps getting bigger with a tiny keyhole in it. Exactly. Anyway, that's uh, oh, something wow. that I felt that we all needed to bask in. And now oh, we can move absolutely. on to the main topic of discussion today, which is this new list from Rolling Stone. Now, it's not the greatest LGBTQ songs of all time. Let's be clear. Though Billion is the most inspirational LGBTQ songs of all time. So we're gonna, I'm going to run through the list. We're going to count them down. There's 50 of them on the list. We're going to talk about what we think of each pick. And look, not all the picks are bad, but there's... And it's not even... Okay, it's a pretty bad list. I think it's a pretty terrible list, to be frank. But what's terrible about it is not that it's a selection of bad songs. Oh, we'll mention Frank at some point. Although there are a lot of bad songs on it. What's terrible about it is not necessarily the songs themselves, but the image and the, the, the whole thing that this desperately trying to remain relevant and painfully white mag historical magazine. White Republican conservative well, think it, tank magazine. Well, it, no, it's a symbol of how so many, so much of that kind of historical media has attempted really cringingly to rebrand themselves as ambassadors of pride and all things, you know, and, and queer rights, all that sort of stuff. And so I think that the, the list itself will give some interesting insights. And so I'm going to count this down and let's talk about should it. I put up, should I put the flag back up? <laughs> is, it, is it okay to be gay again? Well, I mean, not yet. Anyway, so the 50 most inspirational LGBTQ songs of all time. Number 50 is uh, Callum Scott's Rise. Uh, I, I don't know who this is. Uh, does anyone know who this guy is? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, someone I, please tell me who this man is. Yeah, I've uh, I've listened to this song. It's uh, it's a very inspirational, aspirational song. I really liked the, the pop groove this had. The ba oh, the bass. No. You are a dirty fucking liar, August. No, you are no, a filthy I'm... fucking liar. <laughs> I want to. I'm. I'm. I'll, I'll, I'm being I'll, honest. What I'll do as we go through these is I'll read some of because to me what the funniest thing about this whole list is is not even necessarily the picks. It's the absolutely anodyne. I would have fucking voted for Obama three times if I could ask fucking descriptions of these songs. All right. I will say I didn't know who Caleb Scott was. If you want to know, I went. Oh no. When I looked up Caleb Scott, it's because I found out that he is the one that did the slow version of Dancing on My Own. Disgusting. 
You're going to see me rise, English singer-songwriter Callum Scott sings, in this triumphant dance track, inspired by his own coming-out experience, this is a song that can make you feel empowered even in moments of defeat. The way Scott's soft intro builds into a full-on belt can give any listener chills. Number 49 on the list is Ethel Kane's American Teenager, which is (laughs) a rare moment of connection here with our particular tastes and the things that we enjoy in uh, queer music. But also, is this really an inspirational LGBTQ song? I mean, it's it's about feeling lost. It's about coping with the world around you by drinking underage and feeling like you're alone. Like, it literally, if it's literally about being trans with the lyric, like, what is wrong with, like, Jesus, if you could help me, why do I feel alone in this world? It's not exactly what comes to mind when you think of inspiration. Rolling Stone describes the song as a nostalgic indie folk anthem about the fleeting promise of the American dream. Get the fuck out of here! Anyway, number 48 on the list is Kelly Clarkson's What Doesn't Kill You Makes You... (laughs) Shut no. the fuck up. <laughs> Kelly has released some of my favorite pop songs of the last 20 years. I think bangers. I consistently had bangers, and I don't even dislike this song. I it, do. It's a good song. <laughs> Anything past my December, I'm not into. It's simply a song about a hard breakup. It's a perfect pump-up anthem for anyone enduring a rough stretch of road. It works well when you're feeling down. Mm. It's just as effective when you're getting ready to go out and conquer the night. The funny thing is when I hear Stronger, what I don't think of is dance clubs and holding your head up high. I think of minivans. I think of moms waiting in line at schools. Yeah. Number 41 is a pick that I'll go to bat for, even though the artist is slightly forgotten now, which is Mika's happy ending. You have to be a very, you have to have been a very specific kind of either closeted or just, or out, I suppose, you know, exuberant queer kid to really get fully on board with Mika and no more than just Grace Kelly. But that exuberant, like over the top, ridiculously ostentatious uh, brand of Europop that Mika did in like the late 2000s is, you know, I'm glad that there's a shout out there. Number 40 is just Ariana Grande and Zed's Break Free. I mean, I know a lot of gay people who like Ariana. I like Ariana. And this is a song that's like way earlier on in her career where it's she's singing like she has cotton balls stuck in her mouth she's like i want to break free like she can't she doesn't pronounce the fucking r's in her singing the thing about ariana is that she's like she has both some of the biggest and greatest pop singles of the last 10 years and like peppered in between some of the most fucking dead on arrival bomb ass fucking no one cares except three people's stupid songs and yeah break free is kind of at a- 40 ariana grande's hit single put your hearts up <laughs> anyone remember fucking what was that one song that my fucking ex-girlfriend in high school used to play all the time uh, oh you tell uh, me bitch no, i don't know problem but the other one that she released after that it was just like basically her doing problem again focus that's it god that song i love i love focus i disagree with you on that one actually Mm -hmm. i love focus fair enough um 39 is ellie goulding's anything could happen which is a fucking snore of a song i'm sorry really i love it i i like ellie goulding singles 
she's she's someone that I, I i root for 38 is is bronski beats small town boy which is the first like properly i get that this is an actual classic on this yeah. list i think um, it, it was such a classic i thought they were going to forget it yeah because it's not it's it, it's a by an artist that has a very beloved queer cult Whoa. following it is loved by the indie scene which means Rolling Stone doesn't care because they go, ah, that shit's for Pitchfork. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 30 We're here to tell you the Beatles are good for the 20th time in your life. 37 is Britney Spears Stronger, which is like a solidly B-tier Britney Spears single. Yeah, um, but also it has nothing to do with queer people. Now I'm stronger than yesterday. Now it's nothing but my way. My loneliness ain't killing me no more. Oh, oh, like because she's back and back to the other song she did. It's a song about her life. Like it's very clearly not a queer. Like uh. it's an interesting example of how those sorts of um, songs can get very, very easily co-opted by the queer community and can become queer retroactively. Like we could say, Britney Spears is stronger. Could be adopted as a gay anthem. I'm like, okay, where's Robin? <laughs> Thirty-five is Casey Musgraves' Rainbow which is the funniest pick so far simply because what it's rainbow it's got to be gay you know the gays they like the rainbows it's a great song and it's like yes what's so funny about it was is just for me is that when i i remember when this came out because it was one of the first songs she released after the uh, golden hour cycle had kind of died down and i was like oh shit I was, and it was one of the reasons why I was so excited for Starcrossed. And then just to remember how brutally that album let us all down. This was an unpleasant reminder. Um, I, I'm also thinking about when it comes to songs named Rainbow, Kesha's is probably more okay than this one. Kesha's Rainbow is 100% a gayer song than this. 100%. So 34, we have Janet Jackson's Together Again, which is a great pick. Um, 30, yeah, yeah, okay. 33, we have a late-era Kylie Minogue song called All the Lovers, which I haven't heard, but I'm sure is very, very gay. 32, we have Sam Smith and Demi Lovato's I'm Ready, which, fuck, that came and went, didn't it? I I really have to appreciate Sam Smith, because Sam Smith really proves that trans people don't have to be good at music. If we're going to go with a Demi Lovato tune, Cool for the Summer is right there. Cool for the Summer. Sam Smith is like, not just like an example of, you know, here's a queer artist who's bad, but like a queer artist who's actually incredibly talented, but squanders it. It basically yeah. every single chance they get. It's, it's truly remarkable. I mean, That's I'm really... big is I almost am kind of happy about something like Unholy, even if it's not completely my thing, because at least it's interesting. <laughs> I would have like I would have rather that they chose I, I'm unholy than I'm ready because yeah it would have at least had a bit more of a like kick of the teeth feel to it because we've got enough songs on this list already that's like love who you love and then be in love and love's awesome to have a song like unholy which is just about like being a fucking deviant that's, that's be- why cool for the summer should be on here because that's just a song about girls kissing girls and shit like come on. Anyway, it's far too aggressive. Uh, it's better than dancing with a stranger, I guess. I don't know. 
Anyway, number 31, it almost feels like cheating to be doing this one so early. I was in the third grade. I thought that I was gay because I could draw. There we go. Macklemore. Oh, really? Mary Lambert. Come on, man. Imagine telling someone that 10 years ago, Macklemore was cool to like. This song is maybe for better or worse, and it's certainly arguably for worse uh, from our standpoint. This song is probably one of the most significant pop culture works of queer, like statements about queerness that's ever been released. And it is a song oh, by God, that's a, depressing. And it is a it's song in the same by, way that Boys Don't Cry is technically a very important queer pop culture moment. Like it, no one queer was consulted, but it's still a song about someone who is just expressing this painful level of guilt about their own fucking identity. And you don't in some ways worse than being like openly ignorant and just maybe even mean-spirited is acting like guilty and prostrating yourself against your own like straightness or cisness or whatever it is or whiteness and make more sure like doing that one yeah making that the whole thing and that's the thing as well is that like certainly one day he'll text us about how he regrets picking the song and how we thinks that we should have won the awards instead but certainly mary lambert's contribution to the song a a great um lesbian singer songwriter certainly her contribution to the song with the hook is a pretty iconic and probably the most moving part of the whole song if i'm honest but it's not enough to redeem this hollowness that carries across with across the rest of it it's a this is like including that one uh 1975 song on uh notes on a conditional form where maddie healy was like oh people tease me for being gay because of my hair (laughs) i was gonna say this isn't even the best version of same love angel hayes did a better cover of it 29 is this is obviously an artist who's very important to the lesbian community and so i don't really i can't really comment because i've tried to get into the music and i just feel like it's not really marketed very well to me uh which is Haley kyoko's girls like girls uh, i like it i, I like Haley kyoko my girlfriend is very pro this inclusion i i fully support Haley kyoko and, and everything that she stands for there's I, better Kaylee Kiyoko songs. Number 28 is a deep cut from Miss Sears 2015 LP. This is acting called Bird Set Free. <laughs> and that's all that we need to say. Sears' song called Bird Set Free is number 28 on the most inspirational. Eject, eject, abort, no. Yeah, with her throaty belt, Sia turns the track into the emotional high of a sweeping... Oh, character. God, I can't think of a less sexy combination of words than throaty belt. Number 27 is an artist who, another artist who I just have an irrational dislike for, or maybe slightly more rational, which is Miss Jessie J's song. That's what I was going to say. I hate you are. I cannot fucking stand... Not a real artist. It's all about the money. D minus Katy Perry. I just think that's, that, so that's the title track to Jesse J's 2011 album. She performed Who You Are is a towering power ballad that acknowledges I... the melancholy that can come with being yourself, I but ultimately serves as an, an encouraging self empowerment anthem. It's one of the singer's most beloved and most requested songs. People still oh, request it? things of Jesse J? People still request things in general? Like who's, according who's up their radio station in 2020? According to IK, 
This um, is a very requested song. Number 26 is the title track from Lizzo's most recent album, Special. This album's a real guilty pleasure, and I like Lizzo. I, 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 remember, I was on the podcast for that, this album, and I remember being like, it's okay, it's very divided, and, and, and it's good. And this is one of the songs that I was we're not as into. We're talking about because... the most inspirational LGBTQ songs of all time. We've already had Janet Jackson on this list, and at 26, we're talking about this random Lizzo song that isn't even the best Lizzo song you could have possibly picked for this. Yeah, it's not even... It, it feels so weird to put it on here because it is basically yeah, just you're you're pretty cool. There's nothing about being queer. It just the the the, the Lizzo song you should pick is like a girl, and it's solely because of that. If you feel like a girl, then you feel like a girl line, which is the hardest shit she's in. Or as they mentioned, everybody's gay. <laughs> or soulmate, which they also mentioned. Like there's any number of great Lizzo songs, and I would Boys. not. <laughs> Number twenty five though, Miley Cyrus. Yeah, lime. This is the most What is the logic behind this? Because being gay is a climb or something. What is what is the point of including of including an LGBT artist and then not including a song that they do have about being gay? About climbing like, up those cheeks and putting your penis <laughs> in another man's asshole. I'm anyway. gonna shoot myself on camera. Number 24 See, is... is Kish's We Are Who We Are. You know, earlier, I am I am also okay with this. It's a good song. I just love that Rolling Stone chooses to, to lead their description of this with the backstory about how the song was inspired by a string of teen suicides. Uh, <laughs> which is just an incredible piece of context to lead with. Why not him? Why not Rainbow? Now, okay, all right. So the next one is the worst one so far. I haven't. I don't know if there's a worse one. So okay, I'm... here's the thing, though. I'll say the reason why I said Miley Cyrus is the worst one is because it's so irrelevant. At least this one technically does have to do with this. Well, look, look we, we we haven't said what it is yet, so I'm I'm just setting it up. Th- okay. This, I know it's going to create some frustration because we have um, adjacent to us right now. We have uh, some some Taylor Swift supporters in in the realm, but we need you need to calm down is not one of the most inspirational lgbtq songs of all time i refuse to accept this two-thirds of it is about people who don't like taylor swift it's not even that she's a straight that's fine what she does in principle is fine but why are you saying that to twitter why are you mad when you could be glad like glad as in for a dollar name a queer artist Two-thirds of the songs are about being a world-famous pop star that gets mean comments. Well, that is true as well. It's it's only tangentially really about the gay thing. So that's... There is only one verse about it. In that sense, Lily Allen's Fuck You is just as much of a queer anthem. Yeah. That's... They had a better where song. Is, where is Lily Allen on this? Series? Yeah, Lily Allen that's should be on this. One. Fucking Katy yeah, Perry's where? You're So Gay would be better on this list than You Need to Calm Down. Oh, <laughs> they have a different choice for Katy Perry. Uh, well, I know. We'll get to that. 22 is Beyonce's Break My Soul, which you can't read. Great pick. Um, yeah. Moving down the list, we've got Queen's I Want to Break Free at 20. Great pick. Gotta have Good a Queen yeah. You've got to have a Queen song on here. Uh, Stephanie Mills never knew a love like this before. Great pick. Also, Good. Alton John's "I'm Still Standing." 
Great pick. We're, good. we're in an auspiciously good run here until we get to number 17 on this list. This is me from the Ryan Lewis Showman. makes his return. <laughs> Fucking this is me from the greatest show. <laughs> the lead single from the greatest showman soundtrack. Not to detract. Not to detract from Miss Keela Settle, who I'm sure has her own amazing story that's all very inspirational and that we should all be very, very happy about or whatever. Can I just say that making a movie about P.T. Barnum and then fucking turning it into this like twisted, warped pride celebration thing in the most like fucking Lin-Manuel Miranda ass way possible and then using that to cut yeah. the song as anodyne and just so crushingly stupid as this is me to the top of the charts is as jaded as i've ever felt it's, it's actually homophobic also may i remind you that keila settles role in that film is to play the bearded lady <laughs> i'm not trying to insult any of any un, any unwillingly uh bearded women because i i'm sure it's a very real thing that has very real world consequences. Trust me, I deal with it. <laughs> but it's that one gets there, Riley. <laughs> it's, that's it. It's kind of funny, and that t- sort of detracts a little bit from it for me. Um, well, also, like because like it's not about being queer, and that's the issue with like it's not about being trans and having struggling it's, with it's facial hair or being a woman about it. It's about being cowards. a carny. <laughs> because they're cowards it's like well you can kind of see that it's sort of like being gay it's just like there are songs about actually being gay about being lewis you're so talented why do you keep doing this about being an outsider because you have a vestigial tail or whatever you know still makes more sense than you need to calm down number 16 we're back into into good picks with donna summer's i feel love obviously a classic great disco that's oh yeah Uh, not a lot of disco on this list surprisingly Number should be a lot more. Number fifteen, we have a Brandy Carlisle song about gay kids. Apparently, I don't. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Brandy Carlisle's cool. Enough. Number, yeah, 15, I'm sure that's fine. Number fourteen. Don't, hey, it's, hey, it's, hey, it's, hey. It is in fact a queer person. So yeah. Oh, okay. Well, good. For yeah, you. don't don't be hating. Riley, I can't be expected to know every fucking queer. Whatever. Oh, I I don't know. Like, yes, you should people. be actually. And we, we all know it's true. Gay name five gays. <laughs> this is a hive mind, you fuck. Number fourteen is Mariah Carey's "Hero," which is uh, obviously you need to have a Mariah Carey song on here. Whatever. But if instead they yeah. put the, the the Chad Kroger, Josie Scott "Hero" on here instead. Oh, this is great. Right after that, we've got at 13, David Bowie's Heroes. Which, See, that's what makes it better. It's plural. Which is barely, what? barely a song about being gay. It's a song it's about- It's not even, no, it's not. It's about meeting a lover at, at the Berlin Wall because you've been divided. And it's inspired by a story about a man, about one of his producers who is cheating on his wife and met his, his mistress at the Berlin Wall. And let me tell you, it was a straight couple too. There's so many more gay David Bowie songs. Heroes is one of the greatest songs of all time. You will hear no dissenting opinions here. But like, no, it is certainly one of maybe one of the most inspirational songs in general of all time. There's like a sense of transcendent hope that comes through in that song. But yeah, John, I'm only dying would be a better pick. Rebel, rebel. 
The song where he talks reason. about looking for some ass on Black Star would be a better pick. <laughs> uh, number 12 we've got diana ross's i'm coming out which frankly should be in the top three but it's fine yeah probably i don't care that it's not technically about that it's just such a perfect one for, number yeah. 11 is madonna's express yourself which i guess i just think that song's kind of overrated there are so many better madonna songs that they could have picked i like it though yeah i mean it's I, I guess vogue number 10 we have gloria gainer's i will survive which yeah sure okay. No, yeah, sure. no complaints here. George Michael's Freedom at number nine, which is also, I'm glad that George Michael made the top. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Should be yeah. higher, honestly. Number eight, we have, and here we go again, Sarah <laughs> Burrell's Brave. It's a, it, who? You know, it's Sarah Burrell's, it's one of the more talented songwriters in terms of pop music. I I'm won't, not like, I won't you know. I'm not questioning her credentials here, but is she, is she queer? Like it doesn't matter if she, I don't think so because I get the message of the song. Well, I mean, she she she's been on Broadway for years, so basically, yeah, That's honorary it. gay. Yeah, I again, this is not a case of being like, oh, gay people are stupid if they find this song inspirational. It's just a case of me being like, this song is so cringe to me that I find it hilarious on this list. Um, but maybe I'm out. Oh, okay. I just looked it up. Brave was apparently inspired by her friend coming out. Her friend. I have a. I have gay friends. I'm not saying that I think it's a. It should be in the top ten. Some of my best friends are those sinning queers. <laughs> Number seven is Cindy Lauper's True Colors, which is one of my least favorite songs of the '80s. Sorry, not sorry. Oh my god! I didn't even know this. Number six is fucking Moon Eye. Why do we You're wrong. have a Moon Eye song wrong. on here? You're so wrong. Fucking garbage band. God, at least it's not Silk Chiffon. It's I Know a Place, which is not as bad of a song as Silk Chiffon. IMO. But, um, probably and, something off their second album would be better anyway. An uplifting reminder that home is where you make it out to be and with whom you choose to make it. Why is this number six? Why is this ahead of half of the songs we've talked about already? The fact that a lot of these are ahead of like Donna Summers is like, a little weird but you know it, i i will stand up for muna i i i'm getting a feeling i might be the only person here who will oh i agree i i i like them fine number five is the worst song on rena sawayama's album sawayama which is chosen family um no, okay, no oh, I feel like yeah. we're, we're i'm not sure if i'd agree with that but i feel I like we're gonna be in a similar there. situation here where you know if you're a certain type of queer it's going to be a song that means a lot to you and if you're a different type of queer it's going to be the kind of song that makes you want to rip your skin off and unfortunately <laughs> i am i fall into the latter category i i find this song to be unbearable but again look even if you like this song great awesome why is this number five why are we getting yeah top 10 i don't talking about muna and this fucking Re rena sawayama song that no one would remember if it didn't like spawn the chosen family meme god sorry i just i i will say like what i i i don't think it's a terrible pick although i i i will say as someone who really likes that sawayama album i am much more inspired by excess because it's about making a lot of money I, and dancing and i fucking I relate to that would have picked excess over basically anything great song also not an inspirational lgbtq song no but well, you know it, what it, 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 it is me as, as a queer person gay is half of the shit on here frankly pick a song so. 
If you're gonna, I, if I, as a queer person, it inspires me to want to listen to good music like it. And frankly, <laughs> most of this list does not do that. If you're gonna so, pick a song off of that album, to me, the obvious pick is Comme des Garçons. Like I, that's the obvious pick for a list <laughs> like this. If you're gonna pick a song off that album, but whatever. Number four, we have our second Casey Musgrave song, "Follow Your Arrow," which, to be fair, is also yeah. a good Casey Musgrave song. But it is. But she, also, I believe she is the only artist on here with two songs. As the description, oh, no. the Rolling Stone article points out, it's one of many songs that it's one of many like gay songs that does the thing of like vaguely gesturing towards gayness in a way that's supposed to be super meaningful. Kiss lots of boys or kiss lots of girls if that's something you're into. Is this the best we can do? Number four, most inspirational songs of the uh, most inspirational LB, LB, LGBTQ songs of all time. Number four is, I guess, Kiss People, if you're into that. That's that's where we're at here. Number three is Katy Perry's Firework. Oh, yeah, there is no other Katy Perry this, song. This on is here. the yeah. worst pick on this list. Yeah. You know, look, it's the song where Katy Perry's tits explode in the music video. I guess that's a moment. I guess that's a sleigh. Listen, I get that I Kissed a Girl is problematic for being like... It's a better pick than this! It is, it is. It is. That, that was song. the point I was going to get to. I'm not <laughs> saying it's a good song, Riley! I'm no, saying but it's, it's a homophobic song, song, Jake! I am. I don't fucking care! Look, that is that is peak queer culture right there, if anything What else. is queer than something being homophobic and then co-opted by the queer community? Exactly. I kissed the girl. You know what? Hot and cold. Whatever. You're missing fucking, the point. I, I the opposition here is fucking firework. You absolute buffoon. <laughs> you clown. Frankly, as a queer person, I'm inspired by Katy Perry's ET. Personally, that that's a real one. That's a real queer. That's just queer. funny. That's a real queer <laughs> anthem. Like, thing is, and this is kind of where I come down. Is I understand that a lot of these songs are, are either about queerness or co-opted by the queer community because they have a particular cultural significance and they mean a lot. But I just find any song that is queer in the sense that it vaguely alludes to being different to be just like what not only woefully underwhelming, but also kind of just like pathetic. I mean, it's cowardly. And it's not, it's, just I don't even simply... blame Katy Perry for this because I don't think she's trying to like make a queer anthem or a queer bait really all that much with this song in particular. No, Katy yeah. was being edgy. That's all she wanted to do. But but I just find that the the celebration of this is the third most inspirational LGBTQ song of all time. It's kind of just ridiculous. We could argue that the two songs she made that are homophobic but technically discuss queer stuff are, be are better choices. And I the would make that argument. Like, is mm. You're So Gay and I Kissed the Girl, are they great queer representation? No. Or do they contain more representation than Firework? Yes. yes. They are explicitly alluding to queerness. So there's there's just, yes. there's that aspect. They're allowed there, to exist. Uh, we yeah. are not supposed to, instead of this version, more. where we're like, uh, there, there, there's an overweight girl in this video. That's kind of like being gay, you know? I actually, I know you were joking before, Emily, but I actually legitimately think E.T. would have been a better pick. <laughs> hey, monster fucker representation is important. Yeah, you know? I'm trying to remember how Kanye's verse on that goes. I'm... I don't think Kanye <laughs> I'm remembered not how to remember. Number two is 
Christina Aguilera is beautiful, which is a classic. Uh, yeah. It's not a song uh, I particularly feel compelled to come back to all that much. An agreeable No, but it makes sense. Yeah. It yeah, makes sense. That, that's, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I'm, we're making Christina fun of Firework. Aguilera. If Firework was in, like, the 40s, I don't think we would, we would be like, that makes sense, even if I don't like the song. Mm. Like, we'd be like, that at least yeah. makes sense. It's the fact that, they're, that it's so high. Beautiful at least yeah. makes sense more. But even then, like, I wouldn't put it that high, but I get why Rolling Stone puts it that high, if that makes sense. Like, this is a very Billboard.com pick. Yeah, and I mean, it is a song that, you know, it means a lot to a lot of people. Number one is Lady Gaga's Born This Way, which you could do a lot worse than. I would have put this... It's not up. even the best <laughs> gay Lady Gaga song on that album. I would That's have, true. I would have chosen this just because it is the most significant, but I probably wouldn't have put it at number one. I probably would have, would have put it sort of more towards the middle tier of the list. But I acknowledge its significance. I acknowledge how big it is and how successful it is. But yeah, yeah. the poker face above it, though. Mm. Well, sometimes you're just a motorcycle you know sometimes you, you just you put your head on a motorcycle and and that's that's pretty gay if you ask me yeah i mean there's something that there's something that truly captures the you know ephemer, ephemeral like transhuman ideal of, of gender ephemera that better nothing does that better than, than lady gaga's head on a motorbike exactly i'm always saying this of all the artists to have multiple times on here, Casey Musgraves, but not Lady Gaga. Yeah, that's fucked. Yeah, you could place isn't on, on here, even not though that Lady one's Gaga, clearly about John, being gay. No Frank Ocean on here. Artists. Yeah, thinking about you. Well, I guess that's not inspirational. That's pretty sad. Uh, yeah, bad no, religion. Chanel. Yeah. Does Frank Ocean have any inspirational songs? Let's be sure. Chanel. I'm not sure Frank Ocean Chanel. has any anthems. Oh. Also, uh, no Janelle Monet. Yeah, well, yeah. Janelle, Janelle Monet should be on here. What Janelle the Monet's fuck? whole re- new album should be on here, frankly. Yes. No Little Nas Absolutely. X is on here. Yeah, like that's Montero like a good, and industry that's like a good should... old person pick too. Like they'd be like the gays like Little Nas X. Like why? Like, come on. Sylvester's you, "You Make Me Feel Mighty Real" isn't on here. That no Village People. No big Frida. Ah, uh, that's egregious. I can't believe there's no shoo on this most inspirational LGBTQ songs. <laughs> you aspire to want to die. No, I'm yeah, like, where's where's slow torture puke chamber on this? What a what an embarrassment of a list. It's okay to cry by Sophie should be on this list. Yeah, no, that's, Sophie. That's number you one. You know what's baby. an obvious one? Okay, I remember thinking, like, are these guys too obscure for Rolling Stone? And then I went, no, Laura Jane Grace came out on the cover of Rolling Stone. Where the fuck is the ocean? Black me Blue out. Trans Soul Rebels. Yeah. <laughs> True Trans Soul Rebels, like, top three. That's fucking... I'll take Rock Lobster from the B-52s. <laughs> Because at least someone gay made that song. I'll take every every fifty two song is honorary gay anthem. Love Even the cover Abba, of Abba should be an honorary pick here. Unironically, why is there not a single Village People song on here? No, that's ridiculous. Like I get you could argue like, oh, is it inspirational? I don't know, but everyone fucking sings it. Nothing inspires me more to put my penis in another man than listening to YMCA. Exactly. Frankly, we haven't done enough rejection of the prompt at hand to begin with. 
I do not want an inspirational LGBTQ anthem. I want something that accurately reflects the misery. Well, that's the thing. That's why I, I, I'm a very excited Ethel Cates on the list, because that's how I celebrate my misery. Hootie Fruity by Little Richard should be on this list. So true. Kim, I don't, I'm not even the biggest Kim Petras fan, but come on. <laughs> so Actually, easy. you know what? I'm glad there's no Kim Petras on this list, because no, the thing about I, Kim yeah. Petras is that even though she's a trans artist, she's like so fucking cowardly about actually singing about that in a meaningful way that yeah. that any song you could pick from her would just be like it would be like a joke but even then it's such an obvious choice such a non-entity now that we didn't even none of us even thought to talk about her new album which just came out because none of us have even bothered to listen to it not gonna listen to that shit after slut pop do you think i'm insane I i still don't really even know who this person is i'm surprised there's no clay aiken on here Good well, I'm God, not. I have not heard that name. <laughs> Thank God for so fucking mercies. Like that's the thing, though. Like we are laughing at that, but like if you mention it to your mom, who is more likely to buy an imprint, Rolling Stone magazine, she remembers Claire Aiken. Claire Aiken. <laughs> Claire Aiken after he transitions. <laughs> Congratulations, girl in red, King Princess. So, Arson, I'm not even a big fan of, but I'm like. Or at least Artists gay that suck yeah rem like fucking I, I was bisexual about, i was thinking about rem but again i just don't think they have any inspirational queer songs but you Headshot know boys i i i as a queer person relate a lot to uh let's make lots of money um that's that's the excess of the 80s i i just think that to sum it all up to wrap this I think it's just I've always I just find it really funny that the Sum way Sum it that, up, gay people are a land of contrasts. The, the way that Rolling Stone have pitched this as most inspirational LGBTQ songs, like positioning themselves as in this particular light as, you know, these bastions of celebrating the positivity of queerness. And it's just if I can add on before you finish that thought. And when we say from Rolling no. Stone, we mean it by Rolling Stone staff. Yeah. They have no one credited. Of course. And this is the thing, right? Is that it, it's just a bit rich coming from, you know, U2 and Bruce Springsteen are the album of the year every year and nothing else matters. Put your money where your mouth is, Rolling Stone. Not wrong about Springsteen, though. I mean, come on. Wrecking Ball is, wouldn't be the best album of any year. Yeah, but like it's Bruce, I can't hate. How about uh, how about 1480 BC? That pretty slim pickings there. Nah, I you released reckon, that then, way ahead of its time. I reckon the fucking uh, Tudor period had some bangers. Anyway, let us know at home what you think of this Rolling Stone list of the most inspirational LGBTQ songs of all time. What would be on your list? What do you think should have been higher, lower? No, Charlie XCX. I just realized that one too. Yeah. Stick around for our next video where Emily will be joining us to discuss new albums from Swans and Home is Where. Talking about gay representation, not gay, trans representation. Although Michael, S- Michael Smith, Michael Gera might be gay. We don't know. He talks a lot about God. It's pretty gay. Anyway. Look, more like Michel Gera. Look, I just think if you showed somebody from 1480 a Bruce Springsteen song, they'd be like, that fucking rules. That's all I'm saying. 
As always, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, BMO, making money makes sense.